Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Up until recently, I was doing this all from San Francisco. And then we moved to Austin, which has been a nice uh, transition as we're moving from Airbnb to Airbnb. People are hearing different atmospheres, and my guests are seeing different backdrops. Today, though, I'm outside of our current place because uh, our kid's teacher has COVID. And so they can't get a replacement teacher in. And so the kids have been off school. The class is completely closed. And we decided to bring them over to our house. So my son has some company. And Karen, they went wild. They started <laughs> going into the neighbor's yards, picking up all. It's just been. I can yeah, only imagine. So like there's so much energy there. And we finally checked in with their parents and said, can we just do a video? And all the parents said, if that's what it takes, yes, please just do a video. And so I just left the house and I'm letting them watch a video and I'm sitting outside. Good. It's actually beautiful out and I'm going to do this more often, just sit out here a lot more. You're lucky that you can be outside. It's so cold where I am. So I'm a little jealous. Where are you now? I'm just outside New York City uh, in New Jersey. Cool. That's where uh, I grew up. That's where I spent a large yeah. amount of my time. And yes, I, I hear you about the inability to be outside. My sister said, why don't you come back to New York? And I said, last night we were just sitting as we were doing FaceTime. I was sitting by a fire outdoors in the middle <laughs> of winter. I, that's why I'm not going back to New York. Sounds so good. So jealous. Ugh. But I'm Karen, I'm super impressed with what you've been doing um, with The Loop. The, the way that I understand it is I see the photography is obviously a bigger and bigger part of how products communicate online, mm -hmm. where what I've noticed, though, is that a lot of people are either using the same drawing images today instead of photography, the ones that Notion like popularized. Yeah. And so they're all kind of copying that or they're using the same stock photography sites and you've worked for some. So not to mm -hmm. put them down, I think they have their place. But if I understand it right, what the loop does is say how do we get something that's more customized? And if you can't get out there into the rest of the world to take those more customized photos, we'll get you photographers to shoot the photos that are on brand that will make your brand look right and feel connected. And we'll send it over to you. That's the way it works, right? Yeah, exactly. We are helping brands and, and a lot of large enterprises get custom content that's on brand, that feels unique, that has their brand values, their colors, their look and feel that really connects with their audience and their users. Because stock photography has its place, mm -hmm. but often there's a there's you need more than that. You need something to feel really special and to help you stand out. And the way to do that is to create custom content for your brand with professionals. So that's another important thing to call out is all the photographers in the loop are professional experienced photographers. This is not their first rodeo. So I'd like to get an example, but first I should say this interview is sponsored by uh, Gusto, the company that I signed up for to pay my team and by Lemon, the company where anyone can go and hire developers. I'll talk about those later, but maybe you can talk about Peloton. You and I discussed how they're a client of yours. Why do they need you? They've got, they've got photographers, don't they? Yeah, they could hire exactly. them themselves. So, yeah, you know, Peloton and a lot of these companies can go a number of ways in terms of getting uh, content for their brand, hiring photographers, using influencer agencies. But brands like Peloton come to the loop because they want high quality content of their members, of people around the country or around the world that really feels unique and is on brand and shows their product in use. So whether it's a product that Peloton or a store, restaurant for Sweet Green, we will send our professional photographers wherever they need to be or have them create content at home for those brands so it feels localized, unique, and custom to each brand. 
You know what? So I use a competitor of Peloton, and what they do is they encourage their members to take photos, which is kind of cool. I like seeing people's homes, but lady, these places are a mess. I don't understand how a human being could take a, an adult man could take a photo of what what they call their pain cave, which I dig. Yep. With like freaking laundry everywhere. Don't you feel like any well, exactly. sense of embarrassment <laughs> about like I'm seeing your schmutz in your house and this is why you're showing off? If, uh, yeah, right? I, I think it's re- it, it's really interesting that you say that because I think people thought at first, oh, it's really cool. Like, let's just have our users. Um, it's a more take authentic. Yeah, but but what you get is the dirty cat litter box, or um, you get laundry on the floor, or laundry, uh, you know, on on a piece of equipment. You're not getting that really beautiful um, yet attainable image that the brands now want. So where they wanted that previously, they thought it was cool and it was cheap and it was free. Now they're realizing there's a need for that professional content. So how do you get the professionals in those homes? How do you get people out there taking that professional content that doesn't cut off a product, that really shows it in beautiful light? Having a professional do it means that you're going to get, it's going to be styled well, it's going to be composed well, the lighting is going to be good, and it's really going to highlight the product. And pick up your freaking socks. Right. But uh, but we're talking about like home photos. You do beyond that, right? If somebody just yeah. needs a photo internationally or needs a photo with a specific backdrop or specific uh, yeah, design, they want to. Okay, so let let me understand how you got here because you did work for one of the stotogra- uh, yeah. stock photography sites. You actually worked for I, like the granddaddy of the whole thing, Corbis, which I didn't realize until uh, you talked to our producer. That was created by Bill Gates. Yes. So I worked for Corbis back in the day. It was one of my first jobs when I moved up to New York, and it was really exciting. It was owned by Bill Gates, um, which meant that there was a lot of money flowing around, and you could do some really interesting projects. Uh, But in the end, Corbis didn't make it. As the agencies consolidated, it was bought by a company in China, VCG, and now all of that content is actually... um, comes through Getty Images. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the projects and the content that I worked on back in the day is actually available through Getty. Uh, and, you know, it's it's really it's really interesting to think about what stock photography did and how much it changed the photo industry and then what we're trying to do today, which is, I think, a fresh and more modern take on it all. I remember when the internet was just getting going as a consumer product, there people didn't use photography at all. They use clip art because that was available free with so much of their apps. And so if you look at the early internet websites, they they were clip art and bad gifts. And then Getty started making their stuff available online, but they were expensive. One photo might be $75, but on the other hand, it's $75 instead of hundreds of dollars for a photographer. So that was big. And Corbis was one of the companies that was helping to bring this about when you were there, what were you doing for them? So, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, $75 is actually cheap for one of those images. Back in the day, you might pay five, dollars $10,000 for an image of clouds. People always talked about that because it was so hard to come by those images. And it would be so hard to hire a photographer, especially in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. So in the heyday of the stock industry, images were going for tens of thousands of dollars. What are we dollars. talking about here? This is the 90s? or The, the 90s, yeah. And okay. I... 
I graduated from college. I started my career in 2001. And that was right at the time where um, everything was moving from slides. We would be sent transparencies that you'd mm. look at on a light box to select the images or catalogs of images that was being switched over to digital. So, you know, that might be another conversation one we're day. We're talking about going back a little further in your career. This was when you were working in National Geographic. Is that right? At National Geographic. Would you tell All people how you ended up getting the job at National Geographic? That is so freaking inspiring. <laughs> so... Like many young photographers, I had a dream of working at National Geographic. Frankly, I didn't know that many places where you could go work and you know be supported by a company, be supported by a magazine in the photo space. So as a young graduate with a photo degree, I had a BFA in photography, and I did a BA in American culture from the University of Michigan. Where do you go with those degrees? Um, I just dreamt of National Geographic. I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted to get there. And I did everything I could to find a path there. So when I graduated from college, where, where a lot of my friends were going off and working in finance, working in banking, going to law school, I knew I wanted to, to be in the photography industry. I wasn't sure how to do it. So National Geographic, that was the place for me. I found a 1-800 number. This was before, before websites existed where they'd list all the different jobs and you could have insight and understand the job descriptions. That didn't exist. There was no website for National Geographic jobs, but there was a 1-800 number. And they had a hotline where they would list out all of the available jobs. So I would call that maybe weekly and listen to the different jobs. Nothing was the right fit for me. I figured out Somehow, I don't remember how, but I figured out the different extensions. So I would call that 1-800 number and then play around with different extensions. And I would land at different people's, on different people's phones. They'd answer. I'd tell them that I was graduating from college or I had just graduated. And I was looking for a job at National Geographic. And to my surprise, people were very friendly and they would talk to me and encourage me. And, and one call led to another call, led to another call. I did this quite often. Uh, eventually, I found out that there was a photo, there was an editorial assistant job reporting into the editor in chief for what at the time was called National Geographic World, later it became National Geographic Kids. So I applied for that job. At the same time that they received my resume, I had asked one of my professors from the University of Michigan to send in um, a letter of recommendation. So the editor-in-chief on the same day got my resume and a letter of recommendation from a professor. I got a phone call. I flew up there to interview, and I didn't get the job. But it makes sense. I was not right for an editorial assistant job, but I met the whole team. And three months later, when they needed a photo assistant, I was right for that job. They called me, and I got the job. Wow, I love that persistence. I love that persistence. Was the job, did it live up to everything that you hoped it would? It was unbelievable. I I was in awe every day walking into that historic building, um, working with the team that I worked with, riding in elevators with the photographers. I, you know, people like to see celebrities and you get nervous around celebrities. To me, the photographers at National Geographic were my celebrities, were the people that I wanted to meet, the people who I would get nervous riding in an elevator with, and I would work up the courage to talk to them. Uh, it, it was an unbelievable training ground for me. I was there for four, almost five years, and I learned as much as I possibly could and took on every opportunity uh, to be involved and to pitch in anytime. Okay, so then you ended up at Corbis, then Shutterstock, and these are places where where photography, stock photography specifically, was getting cheaper and cheaper. How did you realize this is not enough? This is not right. What did you notice that made you say, "I've got to go and start my own company here"? 
Yeah, I think after a certain point of time, you know, I worked at National Geographic where photography is really valued. The images, the creators of that content are really valued. I worked for Martha Stewart where it was all about the image, all about the visuals, all about gorgeous photography. Um, And then as I worked for stock companies, there was a race to the bottom with how much somebody would pay for an image. And in an industry where they're saturated with content, so many people creating so much content, you don't have to pay a lot for that type of content. Uh, But I felt like the creators of that content weren't valued. They weren't getting their due. And so what happened, what I was noticing at all of those agencies is companies were springing up that were doing nothing but creating content for stock. So they had figured out exactly how much content they needed to create on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, what types of models to use. They would study the algorithms, understand when they had to upload that content, and they were making money as stock creators. So like there'd be companies that were just living on the Shutterstock platform, hiring photographers and saying, we are noticing right now that, I don't know, I guess these days it might be face masks in public spaces, in laundromats, in nail salons are popular. Go shoot a bunch of those. We'll list them. And they made money doing that kind of yes, gaming, exactly. not gaming the system, but working the system, working the system. Yeah. And, okay. and totally legit. Like nothing's the matter with that. And I would be the person yeah. who would often go out and find those companies okay. because those companies were the ones who could create thousands of images at a time, tens of thousands of images over the course of the year. And those are the companies who are making the money within the stock agencies. So I noticed that. But I always felt a connection to working with the individual photographers and helping individual photographers generate income. And the people who were making money in stock were not the individual photographers. They were these larger companies. So so I looked at those and those larger companies, do they do they come across as an individual, like with a face and a name or do they come across as a company? It depends on the platform platform that that they're on. It really depends on how they present themselves. Usually, I mean, they're transparent. You can tell that it's a company, but sometimes it'll be a person's name. It it really depends. how much money and, were they making these, these? You know, these companies could be making tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, if not more. Um, a year. Across various platforms. So it's not okay. just having your content on Shutterstock or Getty. It's having your content on all of the U.S. platforms and the international platforms. Okay. And you multiply that. And then they start to get other photographers supporting those companies. You know, it, it's a machine. Right, you know it's what? A machine. Frankly, bravo to them that, for noticing right? that this was a, a need in the world and – finding a way to capitalize and jump in on it. Okay. And then you were saying, look, this is not directly with the photographer. Can you tell that when something is directly from a photographer, can you tell that there's a different spirit, a different, can you as, a, as an expert? Yes. You can. Yes, you, you definitely can. And, and especially, I mean, a lot of these companies that are supplying content to the stock industry are Eastern European companies where they can mm-hmm. get models for less, where they can, you know, have big warehouses, create big studios. They can, they can really build out this machine and it's cost effective for them. Um, and you know, I've trained my eye over the years and I've looked at so much of this content that I can tell when it's being created specifically for stock. And listen, there is a need for it. You know, traveling at, for Shutterstock or for various jobs, I would travel and I would, you know, come across. I remember in particular coming across a image on a catalog at a beauty a pharmacy that was selling beauty products in Spain and recognizing the image, knowing it was from the stock image library at Shutterstock. Like I knew uh, that image, yeah, yeah. I knew the creator. So I would train my eye to see these different images. I can look. I worked with um, 
a woman who ran a company in the UK and she created, um, she, she called it like the, the hug. It was like a person on top of somebody else's back, giving them a backwards hug with a smile. When I walk into the local CVS here, I see uh, one of her images. I know those pictures because those pictures sell, those pictures make a lot of money. So mm. as you're somebody in that, in the stock industry, you're creating for the images that, you know, sell, you study your numbers and you yeah. keep creating that content. It's a machine and I get it. And as I an average user, we don't we don't notice it as average consumers. Mm. Occasionally it comes across as something that seems familiar or seems hack or maybe the most egregious is you might see something like a European plug when they're trying to show a coffee maker right. in in uh, in America or a coffee morning scene in your house in America and that right. feels off. Okay, so you noticed it. How did you know that brands would care? How did you know the end consumers like me who don't notice much, we're just passing by Walgreens, we don't notice a backwards hug anything. How did you know that we would care enough that this should be a business? You know, I th when I was at Shutterstock, I created um, a, a collection called Offset. It was for higher end content because Shutterstock at the time was really known for lower quality, less expensive content, which, you know, they've made an incredible business off that. But they wanted to reach a, a different clientele, a different audience. And so when I came in, I helped build a collection called Offset, which was really a higher end content, content that hadn't been out there to be licensed before. And as I was going on these sales calls, I would go on the sales calls, I would help train the sales team. I would hear the customer's needs. I would hear what they want. I would see the response from the photographers. And I just started to think about community. I started to think about brand representation. I started to think about branded content and what that means. And I understood that there was a need for all of this. Um, and so when I left Shutterstock, I had an idea of what it is that I wanted to create that I realized was missing elsewhere. Do you have a, an example of something that a client said or a conversation that stuck in your mind that made you realize there's more that's needed here? Um, I, th I think from the client perspective, hearing the need for content that was unique, that was special to them, because mm. what you would often see is a bank, pick any bank in the U.S., would use an image from stock photography, and then they'd find out their competitor was using that exact same image, mm. right? So you realize, okay, there is a need, one, for exclusive content, um, but two, there's a need for just more content that feels unique to that brand. And I think, again, you know, we were talking about the content being created for um, for exercise equipment, right? And being messy when you're inside a user's home. But it, at the time, that's how they were getting the content. And I think for a lot of these agencies at the time, they're getting stock content because it was inexpensive and they could get a lot of it. But they were realizing the need for having custom content that felt more specific to their brand. So I knew that there was always a need for it. It was just a question of how do I get from where I am uh. to that, to be creating that. Okay. All right. I want to find out how you did that. I should quickly say that this interview is sponsored by Gusto. It's the company that I'm using to pay my people. So frankly, I'll tell you that the people on my team are all 1099. They're contractors. I just need an easy way to pay them. And Gusto makes it super easy to do that and for them to get paid and to see how much they're getting paid. But it also works for people who have full-time employees, W-2, especially if you've got people who are not all localized in the same city, if you need support. 
Gusto will do all that. It's inexpensive. It works well. If you're at all curious, I urge you to go to gusto.com slash Mixergy. When you use that URL, they'll let you try it for free. One of the first things you get as soon as you just enter your contact information, if you give them permission to, they will even schedule a phone call with you. And I've got my phone call scheduled with them for tomorrow so that I can make sure that I get that I'm doing everything right. And I love that there's a human being. If I wanted to just call them up right now, I could do it. But I prefer to schedule things so that I um, I can plan out my day better. And so if you're curious at all, if you want a good way to pay your people, if you want a good way to give them benefits that they deserve, go to gusto.com slash Mixergy, M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. I'm grateful to them for sponsoring. So how did you come up with the idea of like this marketplace approach? Yeah. So one of the things that I would hear from photographers at when I was at Shutterstock was how incredible it was when I was building Offset, how incredible it was that they were generating income and at that point, a lot of income and how it was life-changing money for them. And I really connected with that notion of building something that could then be that impactful to an individual. So I, I felt like that this is, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. And we also started the loop as a community for women photographers. So throughout my career, everywhere I worked, I felt a deep connection to the women creators I was working with. And they were the ones who were always there for me and sending gifts when I had my kids and checking in on me when I left Shutterstock and wanting to know what I was doing next. So I started calling those photographers to see um, what they thought about joining this idea that I had of community and of custom content and kind of putting those feelers out there. And Soon I had 40 people signed up who wanted to support what I was thinking I was going uh, to build. And these were all wasn't friends, sure. connections, relationships that you'd built up over the years with photographers. Okay. And so they would be willing to be on the platform. It was a great idea, by the way, to go to a platform like this instead of, say, an agency or um, I, right. I don't know what. There's there's artist reps out there who represent photographers. There's hundreds of them who represent – what, I'm sitting outside. Say? The one downside is I wonder if someone's got a beehive around here because there are bees in this backyard a lot. And I'm noticing you can see one it. over your head. Yes. And I'm such a wuss when it comes to bees or at least distracted by every little thing. And the bee is definitely pulling my attention towards it. And I wanted to acknowledge it. This well, may not you, be the best studio. If you need to get up and get away from that bee, I support that. <laughs> so. Oh, you just keep going. I will be here with my earphones on. And, <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> um, so... I yeah I I really wanted it to be a platform. I you know, my my career up until I worked at Shutterstock was not a tech focused career. I was working for these large institutions where tech was not their for, forte, right? And then at Shutterstock, I got the bug for building, for mm. working with developers, working with product managers, working with marketing teams, product marketing teams, really understanding what it was to build a product. Had I not had that experience, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known how to do this. So I set out with that in mind. I didn't want to build something that already existed. I didn't want to build a traditional stock agency. I was leaving one. I didn't want to create an artist rep um, agency. Tons of them existed. I wanted to do something unique. I wanted to bring these women photographers together. I wanted to build community a community does not exist for professional creators, let alone women professional creators, 
often communities that do exist for photographers are predominantly amateur photographers, and the women's voices tend to get drowned out of the conversation. So it was really important to me to give them a place to come and be and be supportive. Um, And I wanted to help them generate income. And I saw the best way to do that was building a platform. But how do you build it? That's what I had to figure out. Were you doing this as a community first? When I look at your, like, as soon as I Google you, the first thing that comes up is the Wikipedia entry. And it lists you as an online community ahead of anything else that you do. Did it start as a community first and then build into this platform? I would say we were doing both simultaneously. I think both were really important and I saw the need for both. And I think as, as you know, there's a lot of talk about web 3.0 and what that means. And to me it's it's really about community and it's about content at the same time and building platforms for it. So I I didn't see one or the other as being more dominant, I saw that I the need for both. I needed to have both sides of that marketplace going to fuel the other. Without the community of photographers, I wasn't going to get the brands on board. And without the brands on board, I wasn't going to get the community of photographers I wanted to build. Um, what did the community create. look like in the beginning? Say that again? Uh, what, did, what was what did the community look like? Or what was the community in the beginning? I'm, I'm actually just trying to look you up, by the way, in um, uh, Internet Archive. People know I love looking at Internet Archive of companies that I talk to. I, I don't see what it – did it have a different name back when you launched? No. So it was The Loop, and it was a basic landing page. It was just a marketing page, but we started okay. with the Slack community. So we had all of our photographers in Slack talking to one another, communicating, and we would just add them and welcome them. Uh, and a lot of it was done uh, by email. We were using WhatsApp. We were using text message, whatever we needed to do to connect to the photographers. So this was just standard apps. It wasn't like you had a message board on your side or no, you're just this is not the business you're in. You're not trying to recreate Reddit. You're just saying we want to help you talk to each other. Got it. Okay. And so you had them in the network and then it was time to go out and get clients. And SoundCloud was your first client. How did you get SoundCloud? (laughs) Through our network. So I think what's one of the amazing things about the my career and the places I've worked is I've just met such wonderful, intelligent, brilliant people everywhere I've gone. And I've kept those relationships. It's been really important to me. I'm a networker. I believe in building strong relationships. And those are the people I turn to. And those are the people who helped open doors. So a friend said, hey, a good friend of mine um, is the head of content at SoundCloud. Let me introduce you. And they took a chance on us. They were the first customer to come on board. They paid us. And we had, I want to say, five photographers across the country shooting um, DJs and sound mixers in their basements, just creating content with their friends. And it was a hit. They SoundCloud ended up buying more content than their contract was to do for. What? what did they, they do loved- with it? It was used on their website. It was used in social media, wherever they needed images. It was for, I think at the time, it was for a marketing campaign. Um, uh, they wanted to give a flavor for what SoundCloud was about. It wasn't like cover art or anything. It was just, this is what we're about. This is who makes SoundCloud. Exactly. It's back to that initial mm. conversation of users and people using a product. How do you photograph them? How do you um, illustrate who your users and members are, especially if you don't have a connection to photographers across the country? I think that is the hardest thing that so many of the brands we talk to um, have to deal with is how do they source photographers everywhere? Right now, we're doing a lot of work for Sweetgrain. They're a wonderful, wonderful client. We love working with the team. And it's the same issue. Like, how do you 
photograph all of these store openings. How do you cover it all across the country and always have a photographer to do it? You're not going to fly somebody to all these different places, especially during COVID, right? So that's where we come in with professional photographers. I want to say we're in 70 cities across the US, 44 countries around the world. We have the photographers vetted, curated marketplace of photographers for you to tap into. I did uh Wow, I guess it must have been years ago. See that people were trying to create this type of network without the vetted photographers. And it was like anyone can shoot photos right now. Let's just make it so that they could price their own work at whatever price they want. So if Andrew's a good iPhone photographer and someone just needs a $5 shot, Andrew wants experience, let him go and do it. They were building a marketplace that would go down almost to my level of photography. And I do feel like they were doing themselves a disservice because anyone who wanted this type of custom stuff was or at least the people who were really willing to pay for it did not want Andrew photographing. They wanted quality work that would that was on par with what they were doing uh, themselves. You know what? So we keep talking about your personal network. You were the director of photography at Martha Stewart Living, right? I feel like we're just saying you worked at these companies without saying the significance of your role there. What does it mean to be the director of photography at so, Martha Stewart Living? So I was the director of photography at Martha Stewart Living in the merchandise department. So she had the magazines uh -huh. and then she had all of her merchandise. And I think at the time that I was there, there were 16 different lines of product. So I would work with the team um, after the products were created, whether it was products for Michael's, food for Costco, there were rugs, Safaveo rugs, there was a line of furniture. It would be created. And then my team would oversee the photography of that content. So we would go out and we would shoot it. We'd find the right photographers to photograph the bed linens for Macy's and Kmart. Um, so I brought in all the photographers. So I was inundated on a regular basis from the, the reps of these photographers who would send me their portfolios. So I was constantly building that network because I was reviewing portfolios and hiring. I was hiring all the photographers. When you're working with her company and then also with Macy's, do they each have the equivalent of style sheets or style guides, which is what writers would have? They do. Martha, very much so. So Martha was a, an incredible training ground. We'll also say that's where I met my husband. He was a product designer at Martha. And we often talk about the fact that um, you were working with some of the most incredible creative minds. Uh I learned so much from Martha. I was exposed to so much, not only from Martha herself, um, but from Gal Towie, who was the chief creative officer. They had a vision of the brand and how it needed to be captured. How did so they communicate the that to you? How, yeah, how did they communicate to you? Here's what the brand is so that when you're yeah. out there or maybe you're a new photographer out there trying to shoot bed linens, you know this is a Martha Stewart brand photo yeah. and this is off but great. Yeah. Nice. And I, I could still pinpoint exactly um, the definition of that visually. If you were to show me images, we would create mood boards. So there's something called swipe and it would be um, inspiration that would be pulled, what had been done in the past, the direction we wanted to go. And that is what the photographer would be walked through in a pre-production meeting. So they understood the natural light. They understood how it came in, how it um, shined on the product, how it made the product really, you know, the the hero of the image, how important that is. And I think that exact notion is what is often lost in influencer-created content. 
how to make a product sing. And it's something that professional photographers really, not to knock influencers because there is a place for it. But I think that that's really when you're doing product photography, it's not about just taking an image with a product in it. It's about how you hone in on that product, how that product is made to look special and entice somebody to want to buy it. It's in all of that really matters and how the image is composed and how it is lit. And that's something that a professional understands. I feel like Martha Stewart. I used to read so much about her because I was in awe of her. She is underappreciated because she's she was an entrepreneur in the homemaker space and mm-hmm. people who admire entrepreneurs don't care about the homemaker space but if they paid attention at all they would have seen she made herself into a juggernaut and the things that she used to do in the early days like be on both radio and television with the same thing that right. people would knock her for if they were looking from a distance if they took a moment they would see the genius of it she would say Yes, it's the same recipe or the same experience I'm sharing on radio as I I am on television. Different audience, different way of communicating Mm -hmm. it. And this is relevant right now to both of them. And if you don't look at both with the idea that you're trying to judge me, you would see that there is a brilliance there. And and even the fact that she called her company Martha Stewart Omnimedia was like – Right. She wanted to be everywhere. And I feel she was underappreciated. But boy, I used to read so much about her as a kid because she's impressive. Yeah. And I think she's making a comeback with Snoop. You know, she's everywhere now. And I I was in a hotel recently and um, turned on the TV and there was Martha selling something. I mean, it's just amazing how many different products she has touched and her creative eye and the team that works for her, um, Kevin Sharkey included just how how brilliant it is, how how creative it is and inspirational. And I think a lot of photographers look up to that, look up to that look and that feel. Um, you saw it come across on, on an editorial on covers of magazines that were influenced by the Martha look, for sure. So that was a great place for me um, to really learn. It was hard. It's a hard place to work, but I learned a lot from that experience. When you created The Loop, the uh, what did the first version of the site look like? What did it do? It didn't do much. <laughs> um, I The first version of the site was really just a landing page. And over time, I worked with a product designer to build it out a little bit more, to tell more about the brand story. But we, I, I'm a non-technical founder, which I think is an important thing to call out because there is a difference between technical and non-technical founders and your knowledge and your skill set and what you're able to achieve, um, especially when it comes to raising money. So I needed to find developers who could work with me. Initially, it was a WordPress site um, who could help me build that out so we could get our messaging across. So we had something so these brands would trust us. And now over time, we have developers on the team who are building out the app. um, And it's a much different experience today than what it was in 2019. Do you remember what your cut was in the beginning? What was the expectation? You You would bring clients you would charge them. Is that how it worked? And then you'd say, this is what we're we're paying to do this work? Yeah, exactly. And because we're working with enterprise customers um, and because the needs change, it changes as we're working with different photographers, um, what that what the model looks like in terms of what the cut is. We actually charge an admin fee to the brands so that they have access to us. And if we're involved in production, if we're involved in more, that also changes. And then we, our goal is to get the photographers as much money as we possibly can for every job they do with us. Loop is, what What does loop mean? It's that thing that we use to see, or that people used to use to see photos? Yeah, exactly. So loop, 
traditionally spelled L-O-U-P-E, is what you look through to look at negative. So I mentioned earlier on in our conversation that we would use a light box at National Geographic and look at transparencies, and we'd use a loop to look through um, to see the image and to decide if that image was going to go into the magazine or not. And all the photographers were, were shooting transparency as well, and you used a loop. So one of the first things I think one of my bosses at National Geographic gave me was a loop, and I still have that loop. So as I was thinking of names for the business and kind of going down what was available, what domain I could get, um, I landed on on loop, and it just made sense to me, especially with the two U's. I liked the look. I liked the feel, um, and it was symbolic to what I was trying to build in terms of a community and, and that circle and bringing people together. It always looked like a, an upside down shot glass that they were yes, using to that's, see. That's one way of thinking about it. Yes. On, a, on a light box. Yeah. Um, I should say my interview is sponsored by uh, Lemon.io. Anyone out there who needs to hire developers should go to Lemon.io slash Mixergy. Even if you don't hire from them, you should just get a quote from them, talk to their people, see if it's a good fit. If you use my URL for the first four weeks of working with a developer that they connect you with, you're going to get a 15% discount. But I'm not even saying go and hire from them. I'm saying go and talk to them. You should absolutely keep them in the mix. Lemon.io. And frankly, I just love the, they've got a fun name. Name and they've got a fun brand. And I think as you as you go through it, you'll either vibe with them and say, this is perfect. This is exactly who I was looking for, or you won't. But I'll tell you this, you're going to get a response from them super fast. And you're going to get somebody who's a great developer. Even if you don't think it's the right fit for you, you should at least start a conversation with them and get to know them if you're hiring developers. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. Um, when when you talked about how you got your first customer Shutterstock, that was word of mouth. How did you get the next batch of customers to come in? So our first customer is SoundCloud. I had oh been SoundCloud, excuse back. me, right? No, it's fine. Going through my notes fast. Networking. A lot of it was networking. That's how we met Peloton. Um, and then I, one of the strongest salespeople I've ever worked with, um, and I've worked closely with different sales teams, but one of the strongest salespeople I ever worked with at Shutterstock, she had moved on somewhere else, and. I um, told her about this idea. We were friends. And she said, you know, the timing's just not right for me right now. And you can't pay me, which was true. I couldn't afford to pay her. You know, even with the getting the customer of SoundCloud, that wasn't enough to really grow the team. So I kept pursuing her, kept telling her what I was building, kept giving her updates um, as we grew. And then finally, she said, okay, I'm in. I'm here. So she's been with us for a couple of years running sales and she does all outside sales. So she's constantly reaching out to enterprises um, and, and pitching them on the concept on what we're doing. And the brands are responding incredibly well. What's the process to sell to brands to work with them? So the key is obviously to get them on the call, on a call and to, and to explain to them, especially with these large enterprises, um, we want to get on a phone call with them and, and tell them why they want to work with us. Uh, and more importantly, explain to them how we can help them. And I think today, especially because our name is out there more, they kind of understand what we're doing and, and why it's beneficial to work with us. Uh, it's different enterprise to enterprise than it would be necessarily with smaller e-com businesses. Uh, we specifically have gone out um, working directly with these enterprises because they're often the ones who have their bigger budgets, which allow more photographers to be involved in the process. So that's really important to us too, is you know, with a goal of getting as many creators paid as we possibly can and putting more money in the hands and the pockets of our creators, we want to work with customers who understand the value of what we bring um, and who 
understand why they're going to pay more for it. You're not paying 25 cents for a stock image, right? Which is what stock images cost or there's free stock sites. You're paying more because you're getting content on brand that's quality content by professionals. What does it cost to, to send someone over to a house and photograph? It, it you know really depends on the needs, on who's involved. We're doing everything from cookbooks to shooting product to telling lifestyle stories. So it could be anywhere from a couple thousand to hundred thousand plus for the projects that we're currently doing. It really depends on the needs, the ongoing relationship, um, how often the companies are working with us and, and what the usage is, how they're going to be using those images also is a factor in the price point. You told our producer that the other great hire you made was a UX designer. Why? What was the impact? I think as a non-technical founder, um, I needed somebody who understood product, who understood uh, what it needed to look like and what that user experience would be. So bringing a product designer on as early as I possibly could meant that visually the brand looked and felt the way we needed it to, to entice people to even be interested in us. Um, and this particular hire, uh, she's just incredible. She, I, I often say that she is like the ideal first startup hire. Our skills complement each other. She um, knows a lot of things that I don't know. And I think that's key when you're hiring at this stage is to hire for your weaknesses, hire for um, people who can complement your skill set and frankly, who know more than you. Um, and so she brought to the loop just a different way of thinking that I really needed to help us get to that next place. You, you told our producer that raising money was difficult. So far, we've talked about the bootstrap part of the story. Yeah. Did you literally have a venture capitalist say we only invest in wealthy white men? Yep. Yeah. Why? First I've of all, heard why would lot. they say that out loud? And People, then why, what was his thinking? Well, so a little out of context, I'll put it in context for you, but I think people don't really don't people don't think, and they often say what's on their mind without thinking, or they think they're patting themselves on the back and they're actually doing something good. So this particular investor who I met with quite early on in the process was proving to me that they recognized that they his VC tended to invest and wealthy white men, because they had gone to good schools, they came from wealthy families, they could afford to not work while they got their business going. Um, and that's just who they tended to invest in. Uh, and they kind of had prove, proven that concept. So his point to me was, he had office hours for everybody else who didn't fit into that category, kind of saying to me, you could uh, come to the office hours. He's not saying this is our policy, saying this is a problem. And I'm here to adjust it, but and I'm, I'm recognizing even my firm has I'm that. gonna do it with office hours. But what right. I said to him is, I don't want to be part of your office hours. I just want you to invest in me. I don't want the charity office hours. I want you to meet with me and treat me like you're treating those other founders. And I want to prove to you why I can do that and why it's worth you investing in me. Um, he was not in the long run one of my investors, and, and that's okay. Uh, but it was eye-opening to me because there is, um, and we know this, we know, you know where the VC dollars are going and the predominantly go to men um, and male-founded companies. They seldom go to um, solo founder, solo women founder, non-technical women founder companies. Like This is all known. There's data supporting all of this. But I realized at that point that this was going to be a, a hard road for me uh, and that I was in it 
I was going to go through with it, but it wasn't going to be an easy path. And I don't think any of the paths that I have ever taken have been easy. When you finally raised money, was it after COVID kept photographers from being able to travel all over the world was that that it was after all that. Yeah, exactly. So we raised this um, at the end of the summer. um, Mm -hmm. And that experience, I mean, I will say, I also had COVID. I had long haul COVID. I I heard you had long haul COVID and kids at home. Two small kids. I had a son in kindergarten doing kindergarten virtually at our dining room table. That's the Um, worst. It was madness. It was absolute madness. What was but your it, long haul COVID like before we get into the the upside of it? What what happens? It I mean it was it was horrible. It was like you couldn't you couldn't wake up or shake COVID. It just kept going. So I developed asthma. I had bronchitis multiple times. Not to get into those health issues, but um it, it was honestly, it was horrible. So I'm actually at exactly one year yesterday to the date that all um, four of us, my entire family, my husband and our two little kids got COVID. Um, wow. You know, it's been a year and it was a long road to come back from that. And I joke now with our lead investor, Sarah Adler, I, I joke with her that <laughs> I had long haul COVID during our calls. There are some calls when I know I did not appear to her that I was completely <laughs> there. But I um, got her interested enough and she believed in me enough that she went through with the investment. But there were, you know, it was hard to get out of bed. It was it was hard to do the things that I needed to do. But at the same time, the business was taking off because all of these enterprises had to shut down production. They couldn't shoot content. So they came to us and needed our help. And we had kept our, you know, our heads down and had been building and we had photographers all over the world who could help them, who could step in. They could send products or tell the photographers what was needed. And our products would our photographers would create at home. They would create in place. And that was a beautiful thing. And it made us, um, you know, made the brands really dependent on, on us mm. for those reasons. So it, it was ironic that at the same time that the business was really excelling and, and moving quickly, I also, you know, felt the worst that I've ever felt in my life. Um, simultaneously, it was, it was a lot to deal with, but, uh, you know, I just kept pushing through it all. You said to our producer, fear drove you in that period to find a solution. Fear of what? Well, I, you know, I, I think the fear of, it not working, the fear of me not getting where I wanted it to go. I knew that I could do it. I knew what was possible. I knew that we had product market fit. I knew that brands were interested in it. But just the fear of suddenly you have people dependent on you. Suddenly you're paying salaries. Suddenly you have photographers. I mean, I had a photographer call me this morning and say like, hey, what do you have coming my way? And I want to talk. Um, all of that you know, it, it changes you when you are uh, an employee at a corporation, everything doesn't depend on you succeeding, right? You, you can take that week long vacation, you can um, shut off, you can, if something doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there's other people who help you figure it out. I didn't have that. I didn't have that feeling. And I, you know, it'll be a while before I do. But I just felt people were dependent on me. And I want I didn't want anything to fail. I wanted to push through it. I think you're, you told our producer that you didn't feel comfortable revealing revenue. Can you give us a sense of how big the business is now? 
Uh, yeah, we. I mean, we we surpass the standards that you have um, to be on the <laughs> podcast. Um, we're it's a healthy business. We're doing well. We are growing and scaling really fast. Millions in revenue on the platform. Say that again. M- millions done in revenue yeah, on yeah, the platform. Yeah, at this we're point. it's it's an exciting time, and and the brands are really, um, you know, they're they're coming to us, and they're excited to be working with us. It's damn impressive. Um, and the idea was sitting right there, but I I feel like. You hit it at the right time, and you had the relationships to make this happen. You know, one other thing I got to say that when I was looking you up, I wanted to see where your photos were. There was a photo in the New York Times of just a woman exercising, and the photo credit says Sarah Gilman, The Loop. Does that mean that you're photographing for the New York Times, too, to show how people were exercising at home? So that that instance, that was an image that we shot for Peloton that they – Gave uh, that they made available, and it was yeah. an article about Peloton. Yeah, but exactly. even though Peloton is not included in here, it was included in the article. Got yeah. it, and yeah. you then yeah. get photo credit for it. Yeah, and you know that's right. the goal, right? We and we want to do editorial work, want to do more of it. Um, we also really believe and support in the companies that we're working with, and I think that's also a beautiful thing: is that the companies mm-hmm. that are coming to us value our community, they value what we're doing, and they want high quality content quickly, right? So they're checking all the boxes, and I think that's important. That you, our photographers are excited. We did we've done a lot of work for the Sierra Club. Our photographers are excited to work for the Sierra Club. I think mm. that's there's value in bringing people the work that they want to be doing. And these are photos that just look right in the New York Times. It feels like such a New York Times photo. I love it. I love it. And actually, you know, what's interesting about that photographer, Sarah, she was my assistant at Martha Stewart when I was the photo Ah. director. So she's now gone on. She has a career as a photographer um, in Montana. And we had her shoot that image. And she shot a lot of content. So... Yeah, it's exciting. And I think, you know, it goes don't burn bridges, right? <laughs> Have good relationships, strong relations, show empathy, care about people. And those are the same people who come back and support you when you're doing something like this. Especially with you. Boy, you've got a deep network. All right. The site is The Loop. And I'm grateful to you for doing this interview and to the audience for being there. And I should also say thank you to the sponsors. Go to lemon.io slash Mixergy or gusto.com slash Mixergy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.